The opinions expressed in this show are the views of the host and not necessarily that of WTRW, 94.3 The Talker, or the Bold Gold Media Group. The following presentation is brought to you by the host of the program who is solely responsible for its content. The information contained in this program should not be construed as, nor is it intended for, medical diagnosis or treatment. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to On the Couch with Dr. John G. Kuna. We are joined today by our clinical director, Philip Kuna, Lou, and author of the wonderful selling book, Batman in Recovery, Jay Sachoka. Hey. He's here. He's here. So if you need to reach us, folks, please feel free to call 570-961-3361, and you can email me at drjohngkuna.com. That's dr. JohnGKuna.com. And for the show, you can reach us on On the Couch, Nipa at gmail.com. So we're glad to be here today. We have so much to discuss and so much to talk about on various topics. And one of the things, Jay, as long as you're here today, we talk about the subject of change. Change. What is it like to change? And we, we've all had different types of change. We've used different uh, programs and patterns and ideas of change, but you've changed a lot, Jay, from a person who was struggling with weight gain and, you know, the all the troubles and addiction. health Addiction. You can say addiction. Addiction. I, I, it's, it's okay. Addiction. Say the A word. Um, addiction. You struggled with so many things, and you've changed so much. You're a successful pharmacist. Thank you're you. A successful family man. You know, your family's doing well in so many respects. Um, how did you, what was the path of change that we could talk about? For our listening audience, maybe not necessarily your own stages of change, but but what is change that other people could look at? What's changed is this fifteen-year-old kid who who occupies a piece of my upstairs. That's that's yeah. what drove the change in me was wanting to be a healthy dad. So I lost the weight, mm-hmm. and then I didn't mm-hmm. want to be a a raging drug addict dad. So right. you know I gave up the Vicodin. Right. So <laughs> you know. Awesome. My kid had a lot to well, do with sound, it. That sounds easy, Jay. Oh yeah, piece of cake. Yeah, piece of like cake. I want to give up coffee. I can't even give up coffee. You yeah, have a kid; it, it, everything gets better. That's okay. not necessarily true. Okay. Though. That's the, you know, it yeah, yeah. doesn't always work out that yeah. way. But my kid was a, a, and my wife as well were two motivating factors wow. to be around with them for a long time, mm-hmm. and that required me getting uh getting off of the uh, Vicodin, yeah. and uh, you know, trying to keep my weight under something resembling control. Yeah. That's that's amazing. And different programs are out there, um, I understand, for uh, change, to help people change. Uh, Maybe uh, AA is a program, or NA. Uh, I guess we're all familiar with the 12-step program. Are you familiar with that, Phil? Uh, Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, 12-step program, I guess the first step is my life is unmanageable and out of control. You forgot the second part, and, and only a higher power can save me. From is that. that in the first one? Mm-hmm. It, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I wondered why people look at me yeah. when I try to quote the first step. Yeah, no, I thought that was step two. No, that's step one. Okay. That's step one. And, uh, yep. 
I forget what step two is. It's been a while, but I do have the chips to prove that I was there. You were there. <laughs> Absolutely. You were there. But um, it served me well when I needed it. Yeah. That's what, I, that's what I'll say about Celebrate Recovery. It served me well when I needed it. Yeah. How would you think a person could um, use the stages of change, maybe, or 12-step? Could you use... Could you use a 12-step program for obesity? Absolutely. There is a there is one. It's Overeaters Anonymous. Okay. Yeah, my mom used to go to that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's out there. Uh, Gamblers Anonymous, pretty much, you know, Vice Anonymous. Any vice, vice. There's, there's, a, uh, there's a 12-step mm-hmm. program for. It, it, it helps a lot of people. I'm not going to lie. Relapse is pretty is pretty big. Yeah. You know, they don't talk about that a lot, but the relapse rate in an alcoholic is pretty good for someone right. to go sober for the rest of their life is, you know, the exception, kind of like losing the weight and not right. the norm. I mean, it, you know, you hear great stories and I'm very happy that it does happen, but it doesn't always happen. And those of you who ever do have a relapse with booze or drugs, you got to forgive yourself. Got to forgive yourself. You know, you got you got to move on from it. And if you're the family of of that addict, don't beat them up. Yeah, they already yeah. feel bad enough. And um, give the addict his pain. Yeah, you know, so you like that. You have to uh, be supportive. Yeah. when somebody crashes. You know, people say to me, and I've argued um, many times, not always successfully, but many times with the phrase that. Um, Relapse is part of recovery, and and I've heard that uh, spoken by many people who attend uh, the AA rooms. And I said, well, if relapse, let me try to understand this. If relapse is part of recovery, then sobriety is part of recovery. Yeah, sobriety is part of recovery. Sobriety. Got to be sober. Yeah. But then, but then relapse is part of recovery. Well, then relapse is part of sobriety. They said, well, no, relapse can't be part of sobriety. I said, how about we change this, just for the sake of clarity? <clears throat> I feel like I'm in the Prince's Pride all of a sudden. That's it. <laughs> you know, That's I, it. I feel like, I Join feel like me. it's that poison gag going on there. Join me, Darth. But it's it's true. Uh, yeah. uh, it's part of the game. You know, Messing right. up is part of the game. It's part of the human condition is that you are going to make mistakes. You know, so, you know, right, right. It's just the way it goes. Yeah. You hate, you hate to see it in any facet of your life, you mm-hmm. know, per, uh, personally, professionally, you hate to see failure. Yeah. But sometimes you take that failure on the chin and you learn from it and you move on and you become stronger because of it. I, yeah, I'd and, rather say that, you know, progress, not perfection. Absolutely. And I, and I would say, you know, things like that are what causes the change. Yeah. Your failures cause the change to say, wow, that really hurt. I don't mm-hmm. want to do that again. I right. think I'm going to try it this way. So... Things work better, and therefore change is made, and hopefully you could hold on to it for a decent period of time. And I did move. That's, that's a wonderful, wonderful angle, Jay. Thank Wonder, you. Wonderful direction to take. I did change things a little bit in the dialogue when somebody said, like, relapse is part of recovery. And, of course, I said, you know, relapse cannot be part of um, recovery, and I, I can't allow that statement because it's like saying sobriety is part of recovery, relapse is part, therefore, of sobriety. I could say the words, though, if I change things around a little bit, that relapse is part of addiction, and sobriety is part of recovery. Absolutely. And if you are in relapse, you are operating in your addictive nest. Not in your sobriety. Right, not in your sobriety. And if you're sober, you're operating in your recovery. Sobriety has to be well approached, too, though. 
Mm-hmm, I mean, I have mm-hmm. met some of the most awful sober right. people on the planet. The dry drunks. Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. You know, and I've I've met alcoholics. Great point. I've met alcoholics who sit in parties with a cup of coffee and have a good time. Mm-hmm. I was kind of able to do that. But then other people would come over for a party and I wouldn't drink and I'd fall, wind up fall asleep. I'd totally isolate myself and pass out. So Yeah. Um, sober. Yeah. It's not, sober. it's not being sober. Sober thinking. Um, that's why they call it clean and sober. Right. You know, because if you're clean, you're not using drugs or alcohol. But sober is exactly what you're saying, Jay. It's that rightness of mind, that clearness of thinking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, some people don't handle sobriety well. They handle it worse than they handle drinking. My dad was rough. Yeah. You know, he, he was great, but his bad spots, it would have been better if he was on the sauce. I mean, he, he could just become that violent without uh, the substance. So. Yeah. You have to live with that. And once again, sometimes what institutes change is learning from other people's mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you say, wow, what he did wasn't right. And when I become a father, I don't think I want to do that. So you dedicated know, your you know, your you know, life to that. Yes. Being that, you know, Star Wars Day had just passed. You know, you don't want to follow the father. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, you want to veer away and go to the light. <laughs> and then, you know, your nephew takes over and, you know, kills his father. Or, yeah. Yeah. All know. those fans out there, Star Wars fans that watch The Force Awakens. Oh, I know. I, I, and, it's not like you didn't see it coming. <laughs> yeah. You know, as soon as he walked I didn't out, see like, it oh, coming. Oh, he's, oh, he was a dead man. As soon as he called, called his son by his name, he said, oh, he, he's nope. I said his. He just cashed his check. Yeah. I think we could spoil this now. I think everyone who wanted to see the Force Awakens has seen it. Right. Right. You haven't seen it. Though. Nope. You never saw the Force Awakens. Oh, we got to hold back. Got to hold back now. <laughs> but I, I okay. think I got enough of the spoilers. So fair enough. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. What, what, I know. What's the matter with you? I know. And I like the Star Wars well, franchise. I just, I, I just he likes it. He's a very very uh, sober life. <laughs> I have the DVD. I'll let you borrow it. Good deal. Good deal. <laughs> So we're not going to ruin that on the listening audience. And there's many ways, too, that you could be sober in your thinking. And one of the ways, of course, uh, studying different types of thinking patterns. Uh, We talked about DBT before, dialectical behavioral therapy. And when we talked about DBT, you know, we talked about the wise mind, uh, the rational mind, and the emotional mind. Many times, a part of um, sobriety is being able to move between those minds with some type of fluidity and not be rigid and stuck and not you cannot make all your decisions in life on an emotional basis. Many times people do make too many decisions in life on an emotional basis. You cannot make all your decisions in life on a rational basis. You know, you'd be like Spock or Data from Star Trek, you know, you can't be just rational about all your decision making. You seek out the wise mind, and the wise mindedness is the ability to take the emotions from the emotional mind and the rationality from the rational mind, and even take advice from others and put it all together and come out with the best decision possible for your sobriety. And that's part of what um, the DBT or the dialectical behavioral therapy talks about is the ability to use the three minds and not just lean excessively on one when making decisions. Well put. Very well put. Yeah, the, um, when you think, you know, emotionally, that seems to be the one that causes the most trouble. That seems, seems to be the, uh, the one that's going to blow up in your face. I mean, you gotta, it's a balance. It's like a chorus. It's not just one, it's all three, and how do they blend together, and what product comes out of it. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I think that's uh, that's how I look at it. You know, first you go in emotionally, and then you say, eh, wait a second, back up. Let's look at it from this angle. And, okay, it still looks pretty good, but look at it from over here, too. It still looks good, and if it does, then, you know, go with it. You know, makes sense. Yes, the idea that in terms of uh, emotional decision-making, it feels right. You go with your gut. But it's not always safe for others. No, absolutely not. You know, it feels... Something that is going to protect you. It's gut. It's visceral. But yet, is it rational? Does it make sense? Is it your best choice? Maybe not always. And is it wise-minded? Does it take all factors into account? Is, it, is there time? The emotional mind has no time. It has to make its decision now while the gut is on fire. You know, the rational mind perhaps is too slow. It may take ages to accumulate data and, and come to a conclusion. But the wise mind has the ability to make a decision at the right amount of time. So it's kind of interesting, and uh, there's pluses and minuses to each one of the minds. And gentlemen, if you don't mind, I'd like to give you a brief example about uh, the three minds at work. Uh, Suppose you're walking on a sidewalk someday, and there's a dog on tied close to the sidewalk. The dog can't reach you, but he's pretty close to the sidewalk. And as you look at the dog as you're walking by, suddenly an eight-year-old boy walks up to you and says, Hey, mister, could I pet your dog? And as he reaches for the dog, say, No, don't touch him. Why did I say that? Why, because I'm speaking with the emotional mind. Well, maybe I could be like the rational mind and say, Well, there's no problems here. I see no sign that says danger, vicious dog. There's no... I just checked my iPhone. There's nothing here. It says the lawsuit has been here at 1313 Mockingbird Lane. So there's been no lawsuits. So apparently this, this dog has never been sued. Um, I see no blood on the ground, no, no, no hurtful screams in the air. No, I think it's perfectly safe. Rationality says pet the dog to your heart's delight, young man, and I wish you well. I'm leaving. On the other hand, what would the wise mind say? The wise mind would take the guts of the fear of petting a strange dog, the rationality of not seeing evidence, and a wise mind would go a step further, wouldn't it? It would go up the sidewalk. It would go up to the owner and knock on the door and ask the owner, Sir, this young man would like to pet your dog that's tied so close to the sidewalk. And who knows? The owner might say, Pet him. I wouldn't pet him. I don't even go near him. That's why he's out there. They're coming to take him away in about a half an hour. Well, that helps the decision-making for the wise mind, doesn't it? But maybe maybe the owner would say something else. Maybe the owner would say, pet him. Well, that's why he's out there. The kids come off the school bus in about 10 minutes, and they all flock over him to pet him. They love him. He looks forward to it. Please, pet him. But that's information that comes to us through the wise mind the gathered information from another source, as well as the emotional mind and the rational mind. And the whole point of this part of the discussion is to be able to look at ways to make decisions. If you're thinking about stages of change and you're thinking of um, maybe weight loss or maybe addiction loss or, you know, we're not shy on this show for talking about uh, is your... right to taper your benzodiazepines or taper your opioids and you want to make changes try not to make them simply just with the 
rational mind. Benzos are tough to kick. With the emotional mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I had a patient. She wanted me to help her come off them. And she was on one milligram four times a day. Went Mm -hmm. to one milligram three times a day and three-quarter milligram at night. A quarter milligram difference. Miserable. Absolutely miserable. Wasn't much better before, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. just that quarter milligram and... It's horrible. And professionally, we know, and I tell people that this this could be troublesome down the road. Go easy. You know, be careful. Be careful. And they do. And some people, like I said, have been on the same dose forever and are okay with it. And they don't need more. And then there are those who do and they don't get it. And and they wind up in the hospital. And hopefully, you know, are in there a good 28 days and they do get it out of their yeah. system by them. But how do you get somebody off benzos without benzos? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. It's one of those things. How do you get them off anxiolytics without, without one? Right. Just let them bounce off the walls and go crazy yeah. for 28 days? How does that work? And there are good doctors out there who are more than willing to help people taper their benzos. Uh, there are uh, doctors out there who are willing to help people taper their opioids. Oh, yeah. Uh, you see these... Uh, billboards, electronic billboards that say stop prescription drug addiction now. And it's pastop.org is the website. And I caution the listening audience that website is not for the squeamish. You know, it's pretty strict, direct, right punch, um, left hook type of uh, website that tells you what it is to be addicted to uh, prescription medicines. The idea is we all need painkillers. We all need something for our anxiety, and we all need to eat. And so these substances are all around us, and how do we change? You know, how do we use the wise mind? Do we use the emotional mind? Do we find a way to lose weight? Do we find a way to be calm and relax as an alternative to benzodiazepine use? Do we find a way to stop gambling? You know, what's our, our mechanism, our modality of change? You, you got to want something better, I think. Yeah. You know, that's what you have to do. You have to say, okay, this can be better if I just stop doing what I'm doing mm-hmm, that's so mm-hmm. destructive. Right. If I could just get away from that, you know, things will be a lot more stable. And stability is a beautiful thing. You know, it, it really is in life when things are in a good place and they stay there for long periods of time. And for some people, that means refraining from substances for a lifetime because for, it for just, a lifetime, there's, there's not a single drug they could handle. With without making a mess of themselves, right? They are out right. there. There are other people who can drink socially. I I like to think that I'm one of them, right? Right. You know, and the furniture doesn't go flying across a room, and you know, I'm not like too wasted Ooh, to drive or anything never, like that. Never. You know, so, but some people can't. Right. They just can't ever drink again, right. and uh, you know, benzodiazepines just they have just such horribly addictive personalities. They do everything to excess, and Great they become point. unproductive. And you, you just some people just say, no, sorry, you can't do any of that if, if you want to get anywhere. Yeah, it's a great point, Jay. And you it's, know, uh, how, how many people um, go through screening tests for addiction before being prescribed opioids or benzodiazepines? I think not that many. And it's, it's really, uh, we have our work cut out for ourselves to help people uh, with addictions and with addictiveness. I just want to, before the break, I just want to mention that people say, uh, you know, alcohol brings out the real you. You get drunk, and that's who you really are, and what you say and what you do is who you really is inside of you. Well, if you get drunk and wind up in a tree and wrap your car around a tree and hurt yourself or hurt others because you're drunk, 
listen, that's not the real you. That's not the real person that wants to get drunk or hurt people with an automobile accident. It's the problem of discontrolled behaviors brought on through addictions. Thanks, folks. We're going to take a short break. Thank you for listening to On the Couch with Dr. John G. Kuna on 94.3 FM, The Talker. all the time? Do you feel like your life is tough sometimes or are you experiencing relationship challenges or parenting difficulties or just want some help with everyday stress? If you're feeling this way, you're not alone. And while medication may help you cope with these problems in the short term, they may not treat root issues. You may want some help and Dr. Kuna and Associates can help. They offer evidence-based therapies in a confidential and compassionate environment. You don't have to feel alone. Dr. Kuna and Associates has 20 years of experience, 22 different therapists and 10 locations throughout Northeast PA. They have offices in Scranton, Clark Summit, Blakely, Music, Kingston, Tunkhannock, Shikshini, and Matamoros. Most insurance plans are accepted. You will be treated in a confidential and comfortable environment for addiction counseling, relationship counseling, adolescent counseling, trauma counseling, and mental health disorders. Call 961-3361. That's 961-3361. Or Google Dr. Kuna and Associates. What hurts can be healed. Welcome back, folks, to On the Couch with Dr. John G. Kuhn. And again, for your convenience, please feel free to call us at 570-961-3361 or visit us on our website at drjohngkuna.com. That's drjohngkuna.com. And many locations for your convenience in Music, Scranton, Matamoros, Shikshini, Bethlehem, um, West Pittston, most of our locations take um, all insurances, including Medicare, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and uh, Access. And that includes Geisinger Family. So please feel free to give us a call. So today we're talking about change. What does it mean to change? And we have with us our clinical director, Philip Kuna. Hello. And um, the author of the wonderful selling book, Fat Man in Recovery, Jay Sacholka. Greetings, Earthlings. That is, and then you were talking about those Earthlings before, Jay, like those people who could go out and have one or two drinks and go home and like forget about it. Like they are definitely from Earth. They are. They're human yeah. beings. They're human beings. Absolutely. Yeah, they're human beings. And addictions are something else. And we talked about a little bit about how um, there's so many forms of help, folks, out there if you want to change. But regardless of what your addiction is, a couple of weeks ago, or it might be a week or two ago, we had Pyramid Drug and Alcohol here on the show, and they're a wonderful group for rehabilitation, and they have um, rehab centers, they have um, eating disorder, they have autism schools, really a wonderful, they have group homes um, that are paid for through um, your insurance, it's really an amazing group there, so you try to look around for other help, and please uh, make yourself available to the help that's in your very community. We heard about these um, places where you could go in a spa and maybe relax and get mineral salts. And uh, then we found out that there's a um, obesity clinic in town. I'm still looking to make some type of contact with them. And that's, that's, that's an amazing thing. But there's help out there. You know, there's Weight Watchers. 
if you're struggling with food. Food is something you cannot do without. Sexuality is something you cannot do without. So there's things that everyone gets addicted to. And if you need to make a change or you're thinking you may need to change, you know, please reach out and, you know, contact us or another caregiver. Absolutely. I mean, you know, start with your family and work your way out. Yep. And if you're, and hopefully your family's supportive. Nobody likes a scoffer. Key. You know, nobody likes a scoffer at all. It's like when people come in for Suboxone, or they come in for their scripts. You know, I've seen pharmacists absolutely trash these people. Oh, you're an addict. Da, 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 da. Yeah. When are you going to get off this stuff? And yeah. I, I don't play that game, maybe because I've been there. Right, right, know? right. And, uh, but, you know, as addicts are human too. Yeah, you know, the, the perfect is. people are human. Perfect to yeah. a point, you know, but the ideal people are human. But the, you know, if you look in the Bible, those who are supposedly less than are the ones who will be first. Those, those you know? who will be first. Absolutely. So, you know, these, they are, they are people too. They, they have emotions. And a lot of them I would consider as friendly, as much a friend as you can be and still have a professional relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, how you doing? How's it going? You know, how you been mm-hmm. feeling? You still fighting it? You know, to tell me about what's going on. Yeah, I guess there is a certain stigma about um, addiction, addiction horrible right? Stigma. Yeah. Horrible stigma with being heavy. You know, you're, you're, yep. you're people yep. talking about t- talking about you behind your back and stuff yep. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. treat, they treat you different. They treat you different when you're in shape than they do when you're heavy. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess you you've know? seen both, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, when I was a heavy pharmacist, you know, people didn't believe two words I said, and when I lost the weight. Uh, everything I said was all of a sudden gospel. How about mm-hmm. it? The book of J. Here it is. How about it? You know, so I've seen that. You yeah, know, I've, I've, I've lived pounds. that. That helped me out. Yeah, it, it's it's no fun being uh, feeling less than. As, That's as an amazing point. Um, if someone that we know or see is addicted to maybe alcohol, uh, we're all the first to say he needs to go to rehab. If someone we know we see is uh, you know addicted to gambling, and it's right there on even on the sites for the gambling centers, it says gambling problem. You know, please call. The help is there. I just don't see it when it comes to obesity. <clears throat> I don't see people seeing a heavy person walk by and say to them or to someone next to them, "Oh, they need to go to rehab. They need to go." Because what are the words? You don't know what the words are. There's not. The words there to say what's the help for people who says oh they need to go to Weight Watchers nobody says that yeah I just feel that it's it's underestimated the health problems that are brought on through the obesity um, I do believe I don't have my fact checker with me um, but I think somewhere uh, that the obesity rate is running high and it's predicted in the next five years to reach something like sixty seven percent of the population. And again, I don't have my fact checker, and I think that's an incredibly high rate. Um, but you're talking about an obesity rate of 67%, and we just need more help for individuals not to feel bad about themselves or not to just accept it. People accept their drinking, they accept their gambling, they accept what they do, and uh, people need to reach out and uh, you know find some help. Uh, the help is out there, and you don't see it. Uh, as much as you see for drug and alcohol and other types of addictions, and they say food addiction clinic or obesity, but it's kind of just worked around and talked around. And you know, Jay, one thing about you, you hit it head on. The things you have to look at. The the one thing I always say, it's not what the person's eating; it's what what's eating the person. Mm. You know, that's very important psychologically. Why are they eating? And mm-hmm. the other thing, I think, no one's saying, oh, you should really 
lose some weight is that number one people don't like hearing that and number two um number two being it's kind of become the norm you know heaviness everyone's a little heavy set you know it's easy to find a pair of 38 pants these days and and 40s when when i was heavy back in the day they were hard to find and when i was thin er um <laughs> like finding a pair of 34s was next to impossible great point great it was point. next to impossible because nobody was wearing them that small anymore. Yeah, great point. Yeah. So speaking of the norm of obesity, your fact checker is here, and your fact checker says that according to the U.S. government, two-thirds of adults are overweight or obese in 2015. So that was the 68.6%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there so, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was so that 60% includes the five years classification ago. of obese and overweight. Right? I, yeah. I forget. What, I, think, I think they say of the 68% who are obese, 60% of those, or, or no, I'm sorry. Sorry, the sixty percent who are overweight, sixty percent of those are considered obese. Right. Yeah, you know well, what year was that? Phil? Last year, last two fifteen. Yeah, and, and the biggest lie you'll ever hear. I know we're wrapping up. Is I'm happy with the way I am when you're overweight. I said that and I never believed it. Never, I kind right. of believed it, but I, I knew it wasn't the same, truth. Same, same thing. Miserable. I'm miserable now because I don't, I'm not I don't where have I want a, to be weight wise. You know, you don't look miserable, man. You look pretty, uh, I'm doing all right, but God, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, I'm 45 right. now. Things just aren't going to be the way when I was 35. Yeah. Like this pup over here on my. Uh, that way. That Are you ready? 37 or something? 38. 38. Oh, oh, I'm not getting any younger here. Come on. an old man. Pretty yeah. close to the big 4 yeah. here. Oh, no. Yeah, what's your waist size there, Just Mr. wait till you turn 40. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 32? 34? Yeah. I hate you. Not I hate you. Thanks, folks, for listening and joining us. 94.3 The Talker. On the couch.